Good to see all of you. Another beautiful evening. No better way to spend it than in fellowship and in Bible class, even if the snow starts coming down. No better place to be. We can all camp out in here. We can find some sleeping bags or something and have a good time. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read the first three verses and we'll see if we make it any further. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, now that last sentence of verse 3, that has everything to do with what's going on in verse 1 and verse 2. And we'll, we'll show you that. But let's have a word of prayer. Again, Heavenly Father, it is a blessing to be able to study your word. So for the next few moments, as we look into the scripture with great detail, we pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding Lord, admonish us where we need to be admonished and also encourage us where we need to be encouraged. But with all of these things, help us to leave this place with a greater focus on your son, giving him greater attention in our Christian life. We're grateful for the cross, for the death of your son, the shedding of his blood, the, the washing away of our sins. And we're grateful that he was raised from the dead. And so we're happy that we're two gathered you here in our midst. Give us ears to hear tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 11 gives us the names of many men and women whose lives are worthy of imitation. In fact, the point of Hebrews chapter 11 is to demonstrate that we cannot please God without faith. And then it gives us the testimonies of people who have obtained a good report by trusting God. Trusting God is essential for the Christian life. Trusting God. Say those two words with me. Trusting God. That's important. There are many people in this world who do not trust God, who do not believe God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells you what that looks like in everyday life. Because some people will say, well, yeah, I trust God. And other people say, well, I believe God. I believe there is a God. Hebrews 11 gives you people, gives you their names. It helps you to understand what it actually looks like in a day-to-day existence when somebody really trusts God. And Hebrews 11 and 4 tells us that trusting God is giving to God or returning to God of the things he's given to you. So if you really believe in God, It'll be manifested in how you present your tithes and your offerings to God. The people who say to you, well, I just believe I can just do what I want and give what I want to God and so forth and so on. That individual doesn't understand what it truly means to trust God. 
When it speaks of Enoch in verse 5, it says that he had a testimony that he pleased God. He lived in a generation that was horribly wicked, so wicked, in fact, that, that uh, uh, by Noah's time, the Lord had to judge the earth because of the iniquity of people. So what we learn from Enoch and Noah is that if you really believe God and you really trust God, your life is going to reflect that belief in God. So the person who says, well, I believe in God, however... I just think we all should be allowed to live any way that we want to live. Then you understand that person does not exhibit faith as illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11. Our behavior and our belief are linked. And your behavior should be, must be, is obliged to be constrained and restricted by what the scripture says. That's Hebrews 11. Faith, then, according to Abraham, is the ability to obey God when he speaks to you. For Sarah, it's the receiving of strength in her body in verse 11. She laughed at God when God said she's going to have a child, but she ultimately believed God. She trusted the Lord. Then the chapter goes on to tell us about Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and so on. This brings us to the end of the chapter where it says that there were people in verse 37 who were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, and slain with the sword. And we spent a significant amount of time explaining to you that there are many Christians in this world who have died for their faith, and just because you're persecuted or someone loses their life as a Christian, that does not mean they do not have faith. Paul said to Timothy, be faithful unto death. A lot of good Christians in the history of the church have lost their lives because their faith in God was so great that they would not renounce it in the face of persecution. So Paul says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, since you have all of these witnesses that surround you, he says, you should lay aside every weight and every sin. Now, when he says that, he is essentially telling you to imitate the people in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the, in, in one other time when I was teaching this, I gave some folks some time to do this as a little bit of personal homework sitting there, but I'm not going to uh, take two minutes to do that with you. But I'll give you 15 seconds to look over Hebrews chapter 11 and answer these two questions. Who laid aside every weight and who is it in Hebrews 11 that laid aside sin? You need to be able to know that because when Paul says We've got these witnesses. He's referring back to Hebrews 11. Now, I can tell you who laid aside certain weights and burdens in order to walk with God. Abraham did. That man had the burden of leaving his own family to follow God, to go to a place he had never been, to a place he'd never seen. That's a burden. Anybody to pack their bags and go somewhere else, they've got to lay aside a number of things in order to fulfill that. Let's not forget, a weight is not a sin. There's a difference. A weight is something burdensome, something that is heavy, something that it slows your progress. So when I used to box, the coach that I had in Cleveland, Ohio, a man by the name of Caldwell, he had us trained with ankle weights. So when I would finish up school in the afternoon, catch the bus downtown, going downtown on Broadway Avenue, 
then I'd work the speed bag, work the heavy bag, do a little sparring. Then to finish off the day, he had to go run three miles. And he'd give you these ankle weights and then these wrist weights you had to run three miles in. And even when you got to an intersection or a place where, where cars might come, you couldn't stop. You had to just keep running in place. Well, the thing that happened was over a period of time in running like that, then you become light on your feet when they're showing you other things in the ring to do as far as your maneuverability and everything. Well, the scripture says lay aside every weight. There, there are certain things that you can have in your life that hinder you from experiencing the progress that God wants you to have spiritually. And you may not know what those weights are when you begin your Christian life, but the more you walk with God, God begins to point those things out because you start feeling uncomfortable with them. That's what happens. This, this, doesn't, this doesn't feel right. As you, you're beginning to grow in grace and in knowledge, then you, you say, you know what? I really don't have to use words like that in that kind of language. And before you know it, you start changing your speech. You, you, you find that, okay, um, what I'm doing is not pleasing God. I think I'm grieving God. And the fact that God's dealing with you in, in your heart, and it's a form of conviction, that shows you that it's, it, it's something that has to be dealt with. Now, that's sin. But a weight, it could very well be just a friend that you have that may be impeding your progress. Yeah, some people are very high maintenance. And they'll suck the life out of you if you're not careful. Where you're a happy, jovial person, some people's lives are, are so burdened down with different kinds of issues that they don't want to deal with, and they don't want to look for solutions. They just want to identify the problem and constantly telling you the problem and spewing that stuff out on you. And, and there's a point in time in your Christian life where God may very well say to you, it, it's at this point you need to separate yourself for greater Christian growth. Because where I want to take you and what I want to do with you and do through you, I can't do it if, if, if this is going on. You're, you're linked and yoked and, and connected with this particular individual. Lay aside every weight. Now, the sin is something else. Hebrews 11, look at verse number 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of what? Sin for a season. Here's a man that laid aside sin. He could have remained in Egypt, as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, had power, prestige, opulence, wealth, riches. He could have sinned as much as he wanted, probably had any Egyptian woman he wanted any time he wanted. But because of a choice, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer, he laid aside the sin to have the greater blessing with the people of Israel. Now, he might have had thoughts later when they were living in the wilderness that he would have much rather been in a nice Egyptian pool with some of those Egyptian oils being placed on his body and a nice little bubble bath and been sitting there just kind of singing, Calgon, take me away, you know. But if you're going to choose God's way, and you're going to forsake sin, 
don't ever think that this means it's going to be a rosy journey. See, to have God doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. It just simply means it's going to be easy to follow God. It's going to be easy to sleep at night. That's what you're going to have. You're going to have an easier life in your conscience because God's not dogging your tracks every single day, 24 hours a day, asking you, why aren't you doing what I asked you to do? You've heard preachers tell stories of them running from God, running from the call of God. And they, no matter where they run, they run into God. Because just like Adam and Eve, anywhere you go in the garden, God's going to be there. When you get out of the garden, anywhere you go, you're going to run into God. Moses laid aside the sin. Here's another one that did it. There is a beautiful lady in verse 31. It says, by faith, here's a good testimony, the harlot Rahab didn't perish with those that didn't believe. She laid aside prostitution. She laid aside harlotry. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have no idea how many men this woman had been with in her lifetime. But the scripture is plain. She didn't die in the judgment with everybody else, but she was saved and her family was saved. To walk with God and to get your focus is to recognize that, that, that you have to lay aside certain things. And it's a, it's a matter of applying the knife to your spiritual life. When that little baby had to be circumcised on the eighth day of its existence, then that male child cried when that Jewish man circumcised. When Abraham, can, can you imagine when God told Abraham to circumcise to institute circumcision, Abraham already was an old man, okay? He was already above 80. And when Isaac has to be circumcised, he's already older. Now, if it was me, Abraham would have to chase me all around the deserts once he'd have pulled out that non-sterilized knife or stone that he had. But he not only had to circumcise his children, he had to circumcise himself. Think of that. What does it mean to, to serve God? You've got to set aside certain things in order for you to be obedient to God. Even Moses, the Bible says, when Moses was called by the Lord at the burning bush to go back to Egypt, he almost got in trouble because he hadn't circumcised his own kid. And in the book of Exodus, it said when he was making his way back to Egypt, it said God came to him and God sought to kill him because he had not circumcised that child. And his wife, it doesn't seem like from the text, his wife wanted that baby circumcised because when Moses went through with it, she said to her husband, Moses, you're a bloody man to me. Why would you do that? See, See if you're going to obey God and you're going to put sin in another place, then sometimes it's going to be painful. Uh, addictions, things that we find pleasurable, Oh, my, it, it'll kill a person to have to walk away from some of that. You see people that have these substance abuse addictions, and when they're coming off of these drugs and stuff like that, and their body is shaking because they're fiending for it and craving it and all of that, it's painful for them. I, I, I've seen people go through some very difficult times in Teen Challenge when they've had to walk away from those things. But this is what the scripture says. If, if you're going to walk with God and you think about all the witnesses that are behind you and surrounding you, you can do it. 
God is not asking you or me to do anything that hadn't already been done in Scripture. That's the point. And that's why we have the witnesses to remind us, look, I know you're tired. I know you're ready to give up. However, I did it. It like they killed me. And it may just about kill you, too. But you'll have the victory in the end. So the final sentence of verse one goes on to say, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You have to have a persevering spirit. Because God's not going to move as fast as you want him to move on every occasion when you ask him to move. Whenever we pray, we pray because we need divine assistance. But typically, as far as the answer to our prayer, we need the prayer answered yesterday. Because we have a habit of being late anyway when we start going to God in prayer. But he already knows what you have need of before you ask. So you, you need the patience in order to maintain your Christian life, your vitality, the vibrancy of it. Otherwise, the unanswered prayers will bring you to a place of frustration, which will lead you to a place of backsliding. So you just throw a tantrum. You just throw a tantrum with God. Well, if, God, if God's not going to answer my prayer, why should I read the Bible? And I'm, I'm not going to church. I'm not going to listen to any Christian music. And if anybody tries to talk to me about God, I'm just going to walk away from it. If the pastor calls me or texts me, I'm just going to look at the number. Because God's not answering my prayer. Well, you can throw a tantrum, but that's not going to make God move any faster. Now, I do realize that there was a time when if uh, some little kid threw a tantrum in the middle of a store, or at a game, or maybe at a family gathering, then parents, you know, even in church, you know, wedding, funeral, then, then parents, because they're so embarrassed by what's taking place, then they, they, just, they just go ahead and give them what they want just to quiet them down, because we don't want little baby Stephen Wilkie to be showing out here in the middle of all of this, so just give him his rattler back. Or give him what he wants. Now, you know as well as I do that you, that, that you folks, uh, your parents probably didn't do that to you, and you probably wouldn't and didn't do that with uh, all of your kids. So if, if it doesn't always work with you, what makes you think throwing a tantrum is going to work with God? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've already tried it. I can tell you it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you, you get unhappy and you say, well, Lord, look, this is what I'm believing for. This is what I need. This is what I want. And then it always comes back to this right here. Run your race with patience because your race is established. Your race is different than anybody else's. The course set before you is different than the course that's set for me. This is not like somebody going up here to the local track and you have a bunch of people and everybody's going to run around the same the same track. The course doesn't look the same. That's not even what the author is trying to tell us here. This is a long distance race. It would be like someone saying we want people from the East Coast and different parts of the world to take off and start running as far and as fast as they can to get to Washington State, way up in the western corner of America. So you got people from New England states, people from Florida, people from Texas, people that are down in Southern California, people in the middle American states here and then Kansas and other places. Everybody's going to take off running and nobody's starting at the same spot. However, they're going to have a few things that are similar. 
a number of people are going to go through the deserts. Not everybody. Everybody's going to have to go through the mountains to get to Washington State. Some people are going to go through the forest. Not everybody. But probably everybody's going to come across something that's flat, kind of like the plains. The course that's set for you is different than the course that's set for me. However, all of us are striving to get to to heaven, but there are many similarities in our Christian experience and Christian life. So your race is like my race and that we can encourage one another because we can say, you know what, I've, I've, I've dealt with that before. Yeah, I fought that one. And, and the role of the witnesses is to be there to encourage everybody. You see them people that are running along and they get into these different uh, spots. And then you, as they're running along, you see somebody run out there with some water and the water's all dri- coming all out of the cup as they're moving as fast as they can to get to the person and give it to them just so they can drink something. That, that's the role of the witnesses, to be an encourager to you. That's your role. That's my role. So as you're running your race trying to get to heaven, you're wrestling with the devil. You're wrestling with unbelief and anxiety and fear and depression is attacking, coming in different, different angles. My role is to try to put some water out there to encourage you to say, look, you can do this. You can finish strong. Got to keep your eyes on Christ, though. Yeah, that's the that's the key. Let us run with patience. Could anybody here use an extra dose of patience? No, I could. Oh, my. I don't I don't ever have enough of that. Do I, honey? I don't ever have enough of that. Yes. You see, I see this kind of. Giggles back there, yeah. (laughs) Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. God doesn't even tell you about all of the obstacles you're going to encounter. He doesn't even tell you about all the people you're going to meet. Now think about this. All of us, trying to think just about everybody in here, kind of have some idea of where you were born and raised. Everybody wasn't born and raised right here. Mike was come from this area, but even he came from Ohio and Bruning and places like that. But your race began in one location, may have been in another state, another town. But look at how all of these paths have intersect, intersected here, where we are tonight. And then look at how God has brought so many people in your life at different stages of your life. The people that you met when you were in your 20s. The people that impacted or influenced your life when you were a teenager, when you're in your 30s, your 50s, the places that you, 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 you ventured to, the people who have now passed on, who helped further you along down the path. All of these people have somehow or another contributed to who you are. And, and, and when the scripture tells us we've got to run this race with patience, the, the race that's set before us, it's a constant reminder to us that some of the people that are in your life have never been in my life. And the people I've had in my life will never be in your life. Even though we share friendships and, and Christian brethren. But look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So he's the one who initiates this trust. And he's the one that's working to, to complete this faith of ours and, and make it stronger. He, he's the one finishing it, just like in the sense we're, we're thinking of someone who's a finished, a, a finished uh, craftsman who knows how to do all the detail work. 
The Lord's working hard on your faith, your ability to have confidence and trust in him. He's working to, to beautify it and to make it stronger. But if we're going to run this race, rather than just being the kind of person who's just running just to be running, we have to have an objective. So here's the goal. We're looking unto Jesus. That is ultimately where we're trying to get to. We want to run into his arms. Now, I know he lives in our heart, but I'm talking about he's in our heart, but there's a place called heaven. That, that's where we're, we're striving to get to. If, if I'm focused on him, then I can't focus on me. If you focus on what Jesus went through and you focus on his accomplishments and his victories, then you can't celebrate your pity party every day. If, if you want to really get over depression, if, if you want to get beyond fears and anxieties, allow your attention to be drawn to someone else other than yourself. To think about someone else other than yourself. That's, that's the key. Focusing on Jesus. He's the, the beginner and the finisher of the faith. And then it gives us the example of why he's the one we should pay attention to. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So what's on the other side of the cross? Resurrection, ascension, enthronement in heaven. He saw all of that on the other side, and despite the agonies, the cruelties of the Roman soldiers and the betrayal and conspiracies of the Jewish hierarchy, Jesus endured the pain of that cross because he knew on the other side of that is there's something, something a whole lot better than this. And you, you've got to think like that. The, the worst season of your life, you've got to remember, it's just a season. Okay? It's just a season. There's a little phrase in the Old Testament you run into in the King James Version, and then sometimes in other versions, it says this, and it came to pass. That, that means it will pass. It's not, there to be, it's not going to be there forever. It came to pass. This too will pass. So if I were to ask you, what was one of the most difficult periods of your life as a Christian? What was one of those periods where you just wanted to crawl up under a rock and just hide? You know, everybody in here probably has one of those, if not many. Mm -hmm. But the only way to go forward and not crawl up under a rock and stay there and die. Somebody's got to help you get your eyes back on the Lord. If all we're going to do is focus on who hurts you, if all we're going to do is focus on your sickness, all we're going to do is focus on the bad things people have said about you, whether they slandered you or lied on you or whatever they've done. If that is going to be what you focus on, I'm telling you right now, you are not going to finish this race strong. You may finish, but I'm telling you, you're going to be an unhappy Christian as you're running. But if we can somehow have our focus on the Lord and and just just get off of our pain, even though we're hurting. Wounded spirit, uh, friend betrayed me, you know, that, that, that kind of a thing. Uh, just come through a bad divorce. How am I ever going to get over this again? See, that, that, that kind of a thing. There's a, there's a season where the scripture says we mourn with those that mourn. And we do. And when people come through challenging times, we sit there, we grab them by the arm, we weep with them, and we shed tears with them, and we're sad with them. But, but, but honey, 15 years later, it's, it's time to move on. 
it's time to move on. At some point, you have to get your eyes back on Jesus and remember there's a race that is set for you. There's a course established for your life. And if you don't run it, think about all the other people you fail. It's like a relay. Four people running around the track. I mean, the, the handoff has got to be precise. Otherwise, you're going to let down everybody else. And this is how it is as a Christian. If you lose a loved one, someone so precious to you, and we have all lost loved ones precious to us. And I can remember my grandma passing away. My mama just sitting down on the grave out there in the, the, the cemetery just crying because they were close. That's hard. And what, what, what can you say to mama? There's nothing to say. There's no words to comfort somebody when they just, just, just lost, lost their, their mother. You just put your arm around her and, and you just cry with her. But my grandma passed away 20 years ago. So if at this point my mother was still going out to the grave, sitting out there every day, just weeping and crying, see, now I've got to talk to her and say, look, you've you got to live for us. You've got grandkids. You've got children great-grandkids, you've got to run the course that is set for you. So you have to get your eyes back on Jesus because thinking about him will bring the healing that you need spiritually and inwardly to make you strong. Because you know as well as I do when you're infirmed and you're weak and you're not feeling good and you're sick, when you've got pneumonia, you've got a sore throat, bad cold, you're of no use to anybody. Now, you may be strong, but I can tell you one thing. When I've got a sore throat, I don't want to be around anybody. I just want to find a bed and crawl up in. I don't want to talk. A lot of times you lose your appetite. But when you're healthy, oh, you can help a lot of people. Yeah, you can help a lot of people. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He saw something on the other side of all of his pain, and even the shame of the cross could not keep him from going through it all to get to the resurrection. He hated the shame. Shame is a, not a good thing. It's a, it's a bad thing. People experience shame and guilt and condemnation, and they handle it in different ways. You say, what is shame? Shame is that feeling of embarrassment that can come to a person they feel dirty, they feel out of place, yeah, that one that you run into who really needs a lot of ministry because they're embarrassed by the fact that their parents have drug problems, that person is experiencing shame, only Jesus can, can heal that, yeah, the, the young man or woman who <clears throat> has been abused sexually by a friend, stranger, family member. They feel unclean. They stand in that shower and try to cleanse themselves for an hour and a half, trying to make themselves feel better, hoping they could wash it all off, you see. But the memory is still there. They hate the shame. They despise the shame. That's what it said about Jesus. He despised it. He hadn't done any wrong. He hadn't sinned, but he despised the shame that he had to bear for man. 
the sin that he had to bear on the cross for each one of us. Anyone who comes into this world has a purpose attached to their life. Every baby, there's never been a baby that's come into this world that did not have some kind of divine purpose attached to his life. How do I know that? Because the Lord said to Jeremiah, uh, before you were conceived in the womb, I knew you. God had knowledge of him before he was conceived by his parents. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 that it was not until he became a Christian that he realized he was born for the purpose of having Christ inside of him. Every baby that comes into this world is born so that Jesus could one day live inside them and manifest himself. You tell a person that, that gives them self-esteem. That gives them dignity. That gives them a reason to get out of bed, and they can stop wondering, well, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm trying to tell you. Focus on Christ. Think about Jesus. So here it is. He endured, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I don't doubt that, according to Luke's testimony, everything Jesus went through was so bad that he, he, even, he even said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup just bypass me. So he, he, he knew exactly what he was getting into, but he volunteered to do it, you see. And he made it to the other side and was raised from the dead. And right now he's at the right hand of the Father as the, the scripture teaches. So when we consider our own Christian lives, I, I know the, the difficulties each of us may be experiencing in, 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 in varied ways. However, there is victory and blessing on the other side of our pain. I told you, this too shall pass. We pass through seasons. We pass through valleys. We walk across mountains. God doesn't leave us in a, in a, in a, in a standstill. He, he gives us the ability to go forward and to walk with him. So, so please, before you consider waving the white flag, and before you consider throwing in the towel, think about what Jesus did. He didn't give up. Now, he had a lot of conspiracies against him. His own disciple, to whom he gave power to cast out devils and to heal the sick. A disciple that saw him walk on water and watched him multiply fishes and loaves of bread. That man, Judas, walked up to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, planted a kiss on his cheek. The disciples started pulling out swords. Peter was ready to kill anybody that came near the Lord. Jesus had put the sword up. If you live that way, you're going to die that way. And what do you think Jesus did? He let them arrest him. He said he could have called legions of angels and delivered himself, but he marched to Calvary and died. Don't tell me you can't make it. Don't tell me you can't make it. You, you can do this if you simply... Put your attention on things that are important, most important being Jesus. Yeah. We, we, we lose our focus and then we faint. So this brings us to verse 3. Consider him, talking about Jesus, consider Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against him. The sinners couldn't even get their testimony right about Jesus. They were lying about him. Some said, well, he says he's God. Others said, well, he says he's a prophet. 
And even in, during the trial, they were making up stuff about him that was not entirely true. But he endured all of these contradictions. And the scripture says, pay attention to that. The details of Jesus' life. Master those. And the scripture tells you that some people came to him at a feast and they said, sir, we would see Jesus. And they went over to the Lord and they said, these folks over here want to see you. And they heard a voice thundered from heaven and they didn't know what all was going on. It's those little stories that mean a whole lot. When the, when the scripture tells you that they wanted to take Jesus and throw him over the cliff. You got to meditate on that. Think about what that means, that a mob of people came to get our Savior and they wanted to murder him for no other reason other than the fact that he said he's the fulfillment of Isaiah and he's doing miracle signs and wonders. They were jealous of him. They were mad at him because of all of this. These people had been going to the synagogue all of their life. They were religious. They'd never seen anything supernatural. Here comes a man that's demonstrating that everything they're reading on the Hebrew scrolls in the synagogue actually works and is true, and he's making it work. And all of these religious people say, we cannot stand him because he's showing us up. Sadducees, scribes, Pharisees, Herodians, zealots, they wanted him dead. But a lot of the masses of the people, they loved him. He's given parents their babies back that couldn't walk, that couldn't see. He interrupts a funeral and a widow who's taking her son to the cemetery. Jesus comes and touches the coffin and the young man is raised from the dead. There were a lot of people very happy with what Jesus was doing, but the religious people hated him. Hated him. And the Bible says before you give up, consider, consider him. Because if you do give up, it's going to be because you become weary right here. And you faint right here. You watch the wrestlers, high school wrestlers. And sometimes the little kids, when they've got to wrestle, they get out there on that mat. They look across that mat. They see that opponent. And if that opponent looks like he's going to do a number with them and eat their lunch and everything else, I'm telling that young man, is nervous before the match even begins. He's already lost here. It's just a matter of time before he's on his back there. Same thing with a basketball team. If they go out there on the court and here they, every, the tallest player is someone 6'1", and then everybody else is short, and then they're going up against the team, and it seems like everybody on the team, the shortest player is 6'5". If in their mind they don't believe they have the skills and the talents and the ability to defeat them, they've lost it here. Same thing in the track meet. I've raced against this girl 17 other times since sixth grade. I'm now in the 11th grade. I've got to race her again, race her again here at state. I've never beat her. And if you're not careful, you have it in your mind. You're going to lose again. And you won't even put forth the effort that you need to. Yeah. It says, lest you be wearied and faint in your in your mind. So don't don't give up that way. Don't allow the devil to cause you to think that he's beat you so many times before with this habit that you want to break that that you're never going to get the victory over. it. Yeah, I mean, devil beats a lot of people that way. Yeah, just you're never going to get the victory over. Don't don't let that settle settle in your mind. But build yourself up and think about everything that Christ did and let him live 
uh, inside of you in a very, very strong way. Perseverance is good. Perseverance is good. You got to have a strong mind. Bring every thought captive, the scripture, scripture teaches. If you don't bring every thought captive, then the, the adversary comes and he begins to work against us with our thinking. See, a, a thought is like, as, as, as Paul is describing in the Corinthians, if you got to bring a captive, a thought is a prisoner. You can let your thoughts roam free and have a mind with all kind of scattered insights going back and forth and be schizophrenic. And one moment you're up, the next moment you're down. The one moment you're up high, the next day you're down, you're depressed and down low. Or you can bring every thought captive because your emotions are connected to your thoughts and your thinking. If, if there's somebody in your life, in your past, who really hurt you or bothered you, if, if you think about them long enough, I guarantee you pretty soon you'll get sad. You think about it long enough, pretty soon you get mad and start going to look for them. And if you don't go look for them, you start wanting to break stuff that, that's all around you. So your emotions are attached to what you're thinking about. But if you start thinking about, oh my, you start thinking about something that really, really makes you happy, like, like going back to Cleveland, Ohio, to that barbecue place called Hot Sauce Williams. Wow. Pork ribs. Man. Polish boy. Oh, my, I tell you, that, that really makes me happy when I get to, get to think about that. So I, I, I can meditate on that, or, or I could go back and think about the, the, the school lunches from high school, tater tots. I'd be depressed, see, your emotions. If, if I think about the, the wonderful, wonderful times in, in marriage, it brings a smile to my face. Happy, happy times. But, but if, if, if I have to think about those times when Tiff made me sleep on the, on the living room floor, not even on the couch, but on, on the living room floor or something like that, then it's not, it, it's not the best thing. Fortunately, that has not occurred. <laughs> and and we, we're praising the Lord for that. But, but perseverance, C consider this. There was a man whose life was characterized by failure. Think of this. At the age of 22, his business failed. When he was 23, he ran for the legislature, and he was defeated. He turned to another business that failed when he was 24, and when he was 25, things started to turn around. He was elected to the legislature, but at 26, the love of his life died. He had a nervous breakdown when he was 27, was defeated in his run for speaker. At 29, was defeated at 31, when he ran to become an elector, he lost his run for Congress at 34, but managed to win when he was 37. Was defeated in his reelection for Congress when he was 39. He was defeated in his run for Senate at 46. Defeated in his run for Vice President at 47. Defeated in his run for the Senate at 49 years of age. Over and over again, he was defeated until the age of 51. When he was elected president of the United States, and even to this day, people think Abraham Lincoln was one of the best presidents we've ever had. If you don't persevere, you'll never know what the victory is. If all we're going to do is permit the devil to whisper in our ear that we cannot win, then we will not win if we believe what he's saying. Focus on him. Now the last scripture that I'll just touch on, and then we'll call it quits. 
verses 4 and 5. I'll pick up on this in the next study, but I'm just going to touch on it. Verse 4 and 5 talks about the Lord and his power of chastening. It says that we should not faint when we're relieved of him. God doesn't want us to give up. Sometimes we need to hear, get back in the fight. He tells them in verse 4, you haven't resisted to the point of blood. That's to say, you're not going through persecution. It's great that you're losing your lives and people are dying and there's bloodshed on your behalf as you're striving against sin. And look, don't give up. If you're going to give up, you kind of need to be swatted on the backside to be told, get back in the fight. That's how my dad was. If I came home from school and I told my dad someone bullied me, tried to take my lunch money, got the lunch money or something like that, took a coat, a jacket or anything away from me, the only thing my dad was going to ask me before he get into anything else, his first question was going to be, what did you do when they took it? What did, did you give it to them? Or did you fight back? That's, that's what I mean. We were, we were sinners. OK, we were sinners. We weren't Christian. There was no turn the other cheek in our in our house. There's nothing like that. Well, um, chastisement was going to come to me if, if, if I didn't stand my ground. That's how my dad was. And, and, and to give you an illustration of how crazy this 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 was as a little kid. Uh, one time I got into it with somebody and the, the, the person got the best of me. And, and my pops and my older brothers with me back down the street to make sure we got into it again. So I get the best of him. You better believe it. And I got the best of them. Yeah, because I'm thinking in my mind, okay, if I get back home, it's going to be even worse. So I might as well lay it all out here. Well, look, God doesn't want you to give up. Don't, don't allow a few skirmishes with spiritual powers to lead you to believe you can never have the victory. Just keep fighting. Keep fighting. Wrestle with the devil in your mind. Rebuke the devil with your mouth. Live the life of Christianity, that'll spare us from having to go through the chastisement that can come when the Lord is saying, look, you could have did better. I don't know why you didn't do better. Now, if you'd like to, we can march around these circumstances one more time, like the children of Israel did. Forty years in the wilderness, a three-week journey, 40 years in the wilderness. If someone told you to go from here to Deshlin, it took you three decades to get there, wouldn't you think there's something wrong? Yeah, Absolutely. That's what happened. And sometimes we have to have uh, the Lord come to deal with us to help us get our focus back. Remember when parents would talk to the kids, pull the kids real close. Do you understand what I'm saying? Trying to help them get their focus. There was one lady I used to go visit in the nursing home before she passed. And I used to love to, to hear old stories about her raising her family. And I asked her, I said, well, when, when you were raising your kids, what kind of trouble did you have with them? I mean, you know, kids today, parents, they do time out and, you know, they don't like to use the word no. And some of them don't like to spank. And this, this, this wise lady, she said to me, she said, I tell my kids what to do. And if they didn't, if they didn't do what I told them to do, she said, I'd say to them, okay, now, if, if, if you can, since you cannot, since you cannot hear, then you must feel. See? <laughs> See? See? So, so God designed it so that this fatty portion on our backside could be used as a source of stimulation 
to send signals from down below, straight on up the spine, up to the mind, to help us refocus. Focus. And you think of that. How many times did Mom Kruger have to put Ann down just because she wouldn't listen? Oh, my goodness. Come on, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful that we can focus on your son. Father, there's been a lot of times in our life where we have not been as attentive as we ought to be. Forgive us, Lord. Wash us in your blood right now. We confess that. That is not good. But, Lord, we not only want to do better, we will do better. And we're expecting from this moment forward that somehow or another you'll bring back to our remembrance by the power of your Holy Spirit whenever it seems like you're getting out of focus. If we're passing through any trial, test, some kind of tribulation, help us, O oh God, to get our focus again on your Son. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.